You're listening to Sunnyside Up, a B2B podcast that brings together real-world insights to help go-to-market professionals evolve and stay up-to-date on the latest trends. Join us as we bring you the best practices and proven techniques from industry experts and practitioners. Today's episode is made possible by Demandbase. Demandbase is transforming the way B2B companies go to market by enabling customers to embrace modern digital sales and marketing with a complete end-to-end suite of products. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Sunny Side Up. I'm your host, Asher Matthew, and I'm super excited today to talk to Amy Johnson about protecting your brand. Amy, welcome to the show. Hi, Asher. Thanks for having me. Super. Well, I know we've been talking about doing this podcast for quite some time, and I specifically wanted to kick the year off with this one because over the last couple of years, there's been a bunch of companies that have refreshed their brand or rebranded themselves, but not a lot of people talk about like protecting your brand, which is actually a very serious thing to do. But before we get into it, can you tell our audience a little bit about who you are and how you got to where you are, please? Sure. So I have had over 30 years experience in marketing and business. Uh, Currently at Zillow Tech Company, I'm sure you all are aware and have probably looked at your neighbor to see how your neighbor's house is. Or if you landed in an area you're not used to, used our app to see how much the properties are around you. I run marketing there. Before that, I was 14 years at Starbucks. I ran the loyalty program. I ran beverages. I launched via. I did a bunch of different things there. Before that, I was at Campbell Soup Company doing CPG things like General Manager, Prego, V8, Campbell Soups. And before that, I was actually a SaaS SQL programmer Oh wow! for five years. Yeah. So my career, I've been kind of all over the place and I wasn't quite sure where it was going to get me because I was in tech when it wasn't cool. And then I went to CPG to get learning. And then I went to retail as a small company known as Starbucks, which wasn't in every 50 states, much less all yep. the countries it is. And now I'm at a at a small, big little brand known as Zillow. So it's been a, quite an adventure to get me here today. Very cool. All right. Before we start jumping in to how do you protect a brand, let's just give people your definition of brand. Like, what is it? Sure. I mean, at its most basic, brand is just a promise that you're giving customer, right? It's a promise. It's a set of promises you're giving a customer. It's the way that you interact in the world around them. How are you showing up? What are your services like? Are you answering your phone quickly or slowly? Are you saying thank you? Are you shoving them to get out of your office? Like It's how you show up and the promises you give. And then within that, it's like, okay, How am I going to communicate that? How am I going to have a visual identity around it? How am I going to use tone and manner, get across what those promises are? And not generally not one person, as you know, owns a brand within a company. It's the totality of the way a company interacts with the world or the way the the business within the company interacts in the world. Many companies have the same exact assets. It's the way in which they choose to make those promises. Delta, for example, feels differently than Southwest, right? They have the same assets, but they're very different companies and the promises they give the customers. I'm so glad you said that the brand is something that the company owns versus just like a few people. And it's a company-wide initiative because a lot of times what happens is people just think that the brand is owned by a few people in marketing and that's it. But that's actually not true at all, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm glad you actually made that statement. Now, let's talk about like building a brand, right? And we've all seen these like cliche statements that it takes like 30 years to build a brand and 30 seconds to destroy it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, which is, again, they're great statements, but 
Tell us about the process of like building a brand. Like when somebody takes on this, I feel like brand is a program, not a project, but like when somebody says, I'm going to actually help you build a brand, like what has to happen? I think as an individual that works into an organization, let's start there, what has to happen? Like the first thing I do is I just look at, I have active listening ears. How are customers talking about you in the wild? Go to places where they're rating you, look online, talk to your neighbor, talk to people that are customers, like actively listening on how the customers interact with you. Look and see how the customer is interacting with your next competitor, where you think you should be competing, or the other places in which the customer is interacting, not even maybe within your industry, but other places. Listen to how the employees talk about what they're doing. What's the culture? You know, you could tell when you walk into a place like Amazon or Costco or Walmart that they have a very value-based origination, right? So having a very value-based origination, no free pens on the table, you can see how you can get to, I'm putting every penny that we have into satisfying customer in a very different way than somebody that doesn't have a value-based culture organization. They give a lot of things for free. They have a very different way of them servicing that customer. If the employee base culture is a certain way, that will transition into how a brand shows up to a customer. Because again, the employees make up a culture and the culture is the thing that ends up defining a brand inherently. It's a little bit like you can say, I know from working at Starbucks, the support center is not called an HR or HQ. It's a support center is there to support the baristas. And you are a certain way in, in that support center. All the employees are in service to those baristas and therefore you show up that way. From that, then you pull it all together and you're saying, okay, so now here's how we are as a community, as a set of employees. Here's how the customer sees us as who we are. Now, what are the top three superpowers we have? Why are we showing up that way? If we did this, this, and this excellently, then how are we going to excel in the industry we're in? And then what do we have to do that's just good enough that we could keep at bay the competition or we could keep the customers satisfied into our superpowers because you're also going to need stuff that's good enough. And you also have to look at what kind of things like, I don't want to touch. I don't need to touch. I don't want to get distracted by these. I don't care if these other people are servicing our customers in that way, but I'm going to keep really laser focused on my superpowers and doing what I need to be good enough at bar in order to satisfy those customers best. And then from there, you look at tone and manner and you look at how you're showing up and you look at those kind of things. But I think a lot of people, it's funny, especially now being in tech, they're like, what's the look of the brand? You know, what's the tone and manner of it? You're like, wow, that's just like, that's just the extra version of all the work everybody's doing, you know? Yes. I'm glad you also said that because by the time the rest of the company gets to listening about the brand, they actually just see the visuals and they hear the sounds, right? They don't see all the work that has gone into what is the tone we're going to use? What are the wordings? Of, what words are we not going to use to describe mm-hmm. this? How are we going to stay consistent through all the different things that we do, right? I mean, there's lots and lots and lots of work that goes into first just arriving at the brand's promise, right? Mm-hmm. And then getting to the point of like, well, how do we demonstrate that? How does it manifest our, its throughout the organization and what are the checks and balances that we have to make sure that we're maintaining our brand promise. Well, to that note, like let's dive into protecting your brand, right? And and you chose this topic and I'm, I'm really appreciative that tell us about why protecting your brand is important. There's so much going on around everyone these days, right? There's 
it's so easy to get distracted. It's so easy to get strategically off course. And I view protecting your brand as going back to those superpowers again. Yep. And being, what is it you're standing in and for? And are you continually standing in and for what it is and who it is you want to be? So said another way, let's say, for example, your brand and you're all about ease. How have you defined ease from the engineers to R&D to HR hiring to all those kind of things? Are you showing up? Is it one click? Is it ease of information I could get within answering a question? Is it ease as if I'm always digital, never people? Is it ease? And if you're not showing up that way continually, then all of a sudden you become about something that isn't ease and you get left of center of who you are as a brand. And then all of a sudden you're not known as that anymore for your customer. And with competition coming up everywhere, it's very easy to start picking people that you want to compete with and not being true to who you are or where you want to be. There's that side of protecting it. And then there's also like if somebody uses you in a funny way or uses your brand to demonstrate a certain situation or what have you, you have to go after them, right? Because you want to keep your brand whole and you have to defend your brand. So there's that side of it as well. Yep. yep. I'm glad you mentioned this part too, because oftentimes when people say protect the brand, the emphasis is on somebody misusing it, right? Or somebody abusing it, right? And, And it's not on the consistency of your own brand and not moving off course. Because one word used differently, one sentence not approved or reviewed well, and the tone and the context changes, and all of a sudden, you have to deal with a bunch of different things because even though we're all in B2B, but like the B2B world is even acting like B2C, right? And so something you said gets misconstrued, and now you have like another issue to deal with, and it just distracts the company from fulfilling its promise. And to me, anything that just distracts the company to from fulfilling this problem is just a waste of time because the companies exist, like founders spend a lot of energy thinking about the future. And then when stuff like this happens, you know, it'd be a different thing if there's like 17 support issues, that's different. But like somebody used the word differently, et cetera, et cetera. And now the, you have to deal with the completely different meaning. And now you have to like, it's like just a sheer waste of time, right? And so there is definitely, I'm glad you brought up, there's two distinct points of protecting your brand. One is the abuse slash misuse. But the other one is actually just staying the course. Yes. And I think old CPG world, some of you out there listening, I don't mean you're in the old CPG world, but just my, I was there a long time ago. Some of the things I would do is you do R&D, right? In some instances, you have a cash cow and you're looking to try to keep the margin um, healthy. And you do some stuff like with vegetable soup, for example, there might've been 20 vegetables in the soup 50 years ago, and now you're down to five. And you go back and you taste the soup originally created And then you taste the soup that's out in the world now, and they're vastly different offerings, but yet they're still the same name. And year after year, if you just take one out and you just take another vegetable out and you just take another, and it seems like over, you're just changing it just a little. It really isn't going to hurt anything. But then you realize and go back and you're like, oh my God, this is a completely different product. And if you do that enough over a short period of time, because now the world is much more condensed than it used to be, all of a sudden you have in your head who you used to be, because that's who you were, but you've made all these little changes over time. And now when new customers come in, they see the new you, not the old you. And are they the same? And how do you understand if they are the same? 
And if that's the same customer and you want, and it's a different brand, you have to know that. You have to understand you're making those changes. And it is a little crazy with all the A-B tests you can do and all those kind of yep. things. You can really go wrong without knowing it fairly quickly. And so let's talk about the firmer ways of protecting your brand. And I say this because there's lots of people that don't understand how do you stand up for yourself, right, in the world, right? And so what are the tools that you can use to protect your brand? So do you mean understanding on where it is or the literal, like, legalities oh. of if they if, if you're in, like, China and you see the Starbucks logo, you call the lawyer and you say, you got to go call those folks. <laughs> they, can't, they can't put their name in the middle of a big green dot. Yeah, that's really fine, too, because, again, I don't know if people fully understand this concept, right? Because it's not mean, right? Like, you just have to, like, be very careful. Yeah. And when you see something, you have to call it out, right? And it's to me, it's, it's being firm, right? And so there mean. is the legal portion of it. For sure. Yeah, it's funny you say that. It's like you're just standing up for who you are in a way that is, it's like your core of your body, right? It's like got to be central to everything you are. So yeah. if if you see something that is either going to pull you away from that, it could be anything from hiring employees that are culturally wrong, yep. that are going to pull the culture in a way that then no longer allows you to have those promises. And you know when those people are in the organization. And many times what happens is you bring those people in and they're super smart. They're not a culture fit, but you let them stay around because they're yeah. super smart, but not a culture fit. You just need to know right away that that's just not a fit right for both people. All the way to really deciding if people are going to call you on your stuff, how are you going to go? How are you going to defend yourself? So some of yeah. it is standing up for yourself. So for example, Back in 2008, I use a Starbucks example again, you'd literally see buses go by, be it for financial services or McDonald's. It's like, don't waste your $5 on a latte. And you could really easily see like, so don't buy Starbucks, right? So then the question at the time was, well, if everybody's coming after us because of a price point, are we just a price point? So then you could very quickly, we could have decided at the time to talk about the price, but we're worth the $5. We had nothing to do with the $5. It was a lifestyle of a thing that we brought. So then how do you talk more about the lifestyle without even talking about the money? So then it comes down to choosing, well, you're really going to give up that half an hour in your day to relax and have that time to yourself. I mean, I think that's worth the value of what you're paying for it. Yep. So then it's deciding how you're going to stand up for yourself and you need to almost stand up for yourself in the tone and manner in which you want the brand to show up as well. Right. You can't death by a thousand paper cuts. You do have to be proud of who you are <laughs> and where you stand up. Yes. These are great points. And I just want to remind the people that are in our audience who are executives, like as an executive, it is your responsibility to protect the brand. It's not an option. No. And you do need to protect the brand across the company. And which means when you see people violating values or violating norms or just not using the brand, you need to help. Now, how you help is another way, another topic of conversation. Some people are very encouraging. Some people are super firm. Some people are just like extremely firm, right? But you have to be very cognizant of the tone that your company uses to address these things. It's kind of driven by the, the CEO. But it is a responsibility and your duty to like protect the brand of the company that you're employed by, especially as an executive, because there's so many eyes on you. Yes. How do you happen it? And does everybody understand the concept that I was sharing, which is like you as an executive actually own the brand? It's not the marketer. 
Yep. I mean, the chief, whatever, marketing, whatever, is not going to own the brand. They're the ones that probably own the communication and the dollars to communicate it. But there's products being birthed. There's people being hired. There's services being offered. There's a front line that happens. And all that is the brand. The question is, is do you as an executive, like everyone listening, do you understand what are the top three superpowers of your brand? Why the customers come to you and not somebody else? where it is your kryptonite might be that you have to fix. And is it in your, it's up to you based on what you lead. If those kryptonite pieces are in your organization, you could hurt the brand. If your superpower is there and you can communicate it, how do you get that out? Like empower yourself also to be part of it and not just wait for the brand czar or the police officer, or whoever it is that you think may be in your company to come tell you what to do. I almost feel like it's always the CMO that gets kind of positioned as the brand czar, but it's actually legal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's like the marketing leader is just the intercessor for the, the legal people because the, the legal people are really responsible for protecting everything. And so, yeah, yeah. I think is it Seth Gooden? I, I love listening to him. The thing I would also say is it's like, it only really matters to your target market. Yes. And he really hammers home that really, if you're sure of who your target market is, be your all awesome self to that target market. And there will be people that won't like you, but if they're not in your target, that's okay. But be true to the folks you're servicing and know who those folks are. That's a great point too. All right. Let's talk about leadership style. You come across as a very easy to approach and fun person, but the leadership style of marketers today, and if you can point us to give us a little few points on like leadership style of senior marketers like in the future or maybe the next like couple of years because of some of the shifts that we've seen would be great to get some education on that sure so i shift almost depending on the audience if you will and what has to get done so i could lead from the front i could lead from the side i could lead from the back i've had skills in doing all of those things but it also all comes down as to who do you want to empower to do what or how do you have to show up to inspire and engage and lead? So I just get very enthusiastic about things I'm excited about. I ask lots of questions. I make sure that everybody understands what's the core customer problem we have to solve for, what's the core business problem we have to solve for, who's the team that is responsible for that, what are they doing, what does it look like, have we all defined the problem the same way, who's your team member. I love when I have to present something to have a partner or two or three, maybe they present my part because there's more people in the audience that are from their organization than from mine. They get way more cred than I do. Shit, let them talk about it. They know, they're excited, they're partnering with me. Like I find it's all about if everybody understands the core customer problem and the core business problem, and we all are aligned on what are the goals and outcomes we want, and then understand how we can all play together in order to create that outcome, then how do we empower each other to do that, right? And be really clear. I mean, part of it isn't just saying yes for everything. It's also saying no and having the debate and agreeing to disagree and then committing and moving forward as well, right? But I, I learned early on, like a marketer, quote unquote, with that on my forehead, which means a communicator in some organization, is not going to stand up in front of a field forward sales organization and be like, I know all of what you need to do. It's like, haha, you're in this box called marketing. But I've learned that if I partner really well and actually listen to a head of sales, that is a fantastic communicator that people respect, and we are aligning on something and showcase them in front of that audience, we get way more 
it may wear attention, it may wear credibility, you have a better partnership if you see that in the, from there and behind and that person's in the front. So that's an example of just moving all around the front side and, and behind. So I always say that the level of leader you'll become is the level of leaders around you that you can support. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because the higher up you go, you're basically a business person. You may be a functional leader, but you're a business person first. Yep. Yep. And and the higher up you go, the other people just want to know, are you going to be somebody that just thinks about your function? Or are you going to be somebody that thinks about the enterprise? Because as things become more complex, no one person can actually do everything and be yep. sane, right? So you need this, like I would say, your crew to take to keep their eyes on other things than just their function, even though they're leading functions, because executives do functional swapping all the time. Yep. And so to me, like what you just said is about leading from the front when it's needed, leading from the back, leading from the side, right? Like all of these things are great, but at the end of the day, you just have to know who are you in the room with and what type of support do they need, right? Like, and I'll give you an right. example, right? right? Like a senior director of marketing does not need to know CMO level stuff. They're not a P&L owner, right? And so talking to them about PL just confuses the heck out of them. Talking to them about like how the calendar will work and how do you get to them. Like, this is what I'm saying. Like, like you really have to be very, very careful. And I've made this mistake several times, uh, learned that the hard way. But again, since we have aspiring senior executives that are listening to this podcast, right? It's really about like, how do you learn to support, right? It's not how do you learn to know more, but I think it's like, how do you learn to support it? It's a really tough thing to do. So yeah, I even think back then, like, how do you, I don't know, you just, you want to quote unquote own a thing, right? Like I own it. And then with even those words becomes like, then I must do that I must myself do. And then yes. if I don't control, then yes. I am not doing. And there's yes. something in that where the hardest part in your transition in leadership of going from owning, let's say, a vertical to having to look broader. So that senior director role to that VP role, say, is you still have to run businesses, but you do have to have a much broader view. Yep. And you have to enable forward momentum. You have to enable business results. Yep. And you have to know what you don't know. Surround yourself with people that do know the things you don't know and know that ownership is a joint team sport yep. of which you are accountable for ensuring that action occurs, but the higher up you go, <laughs> it's, it's a, people probably don't believe instead of listening, but the higher up you go, you don't necessarily have more control per se. 100%. <laughs> they're like now you have the title you can tell people what to do I'm like i haven't told people what to do in years <laughs> 100%. to your point just expanding on your point right like it's like here's a very tactical example right because i always want to make these podcasts like a little bit more tactical that people can just take uh -huh. right like if you are there and you're invited to a meeting and two people that report to you're invited to the meeting don't go to the meeting because what's effectively going to happen is the two people that are in the room who should be be supported by you are completely going to get sidelined and everybody's going to want to talk to you if you're the manager, right? Or the, the leader of, mm -hmm. or like the C-suite leader, right? And then now what's happened is that it was their time to learn by either education or exposure or experience, right? And then people just look to you and then they feel that they're not supported. So I mean, there's a bunch of things there, but, but like this is like something that I had learned 
was extremely hard for me to learn was like when you're in a room or in a meeting and then like other people that report to you directly and can get the job done you know they're gst people that's get that's done you know yeah yeah just decline well or or what you do is throw them the ball what i found too is sometimes people don't want to step into the role in the room because they're hierarchical right so if i'm sitting in a room and i have two people that work for me in the room and they're then folks start addressing me i will literally call the person's name so jane what i hear susan asking is blah 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 would you you want to go ahead and pick this one up because they're probably freaking out because they don't know the questions coming to them because it was addressed to me right I will rephrase it in the way that I know Jane's listening ears are going to hear it. And then she's prepared and listening and will show up as her best self. So I also find that that helps as well. And then in that case too, especially if you're trying to build in the organization as a leader, other people who may not know Jane, her superpower, Jane's superpower, then I can actually be there also to give my credibility into Jane and that I trust her to answer the question the right way. And that, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, is why these roles are super lonely. It's because, you know, you're basically just pushing things away. And sometimes, I mean, somebody just told me this the other day. It was like, like you know, like sometimes it feels like you're on vacation. Actually, if you feel like you're on vacation, you're just not doing the, the most important things that need to be done. Right. And sometimes you just have to actually let situations play out, right? And just make sure that they just don't play out and go sideways. But it is important as a leader to totally support the people that report to you and give them their shot and just be very, very careful about your own time. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting too, because even if they don't answer quite the right way, you still have the power in the room, I would say, let's use the word loosely power to direct the conversation. I mean, sometimes what I do is I have, I literally on my monitor here, I have a list of 10 different ways in which I like to be, if you will. And sometimes I'm in a meeting, not as a CMO, but I'm in a meeting this different way. I may be in the meeting as a customer advocate and a consultant. And so the listening ears I go into the meeting are as if I'm a advocate in a different way. So I'm sitting in a sales meeting, maybe not as like the CMO per se. I'm in there because of my listening ears in these ways, because I know that's absent in the meeting and that's how they want me to show up. Or that's the questions I'm going to ask some of the other folks so that they answer it. And when you're coming into a meeting, I remember, you know, again, when you're trying to make that transition to senior leadership and you're like, what do you mean? I'm vertical. I'm there to show my vertical expertise. Sometimes it's hard to go in and know, well, what else should I talk about? How else can I add value? They're asking me not to know this, but that's all I know. Think about what your superpower is. And so when you're coming into the meeting, if you love the customer, then sit there and really listen for the customer and ask questions based in your customer passion. Don't ask specific questions based on your vertical understanding. That's how you start demonstrating that you can think more broadly because you're not coming at it. You're coming at it as your whole self and questions that the reason why you're in the room to begin with, not because of the vertical business or what have you that you're supporting. And when you were making that transition from, let's say, an executive to a senior executive, which is what you are right now, right? Were there key things, maybe like one or two things that you were that you had to work on? And as you look back, you're like, gosh, like this was it for me. <laughs> There's a couple of those. One of them really was just telling my seventh grade self to shut up. You know, it was just a little bit of that. You know, oh my gosh, all these people, they, they're so awesome. They got here. Like, I'm so in awe of everybody else. My mouth won't open, but my brain's telling my mouth to say something and nothing's happening. Like some of it is just stepping into 
being yourself in the meeting, right? Like just showing up, showing up, just show up. Don't let yourself harm yourself. And I had to, I had to learn that. It sounds like really like ooey ooey or whatever, like, you know, I'm going to go listen to, you know, Headspace and, and, and meditate for a while. But it is a little bit like, don't do your own self in. I had to learn that just because I said something doesn't mean it was heard. And so I'm an introvert. So I had to work. I had to work a lot on quote unquote, sitting at the table. And you know, I leave a meeting and I'd be like, oh my God, I said it. They didn't hear me. And like six people were like, did you talk in that meeting? I'm like, what do you mean? Because I'd spent 30 minutes thinking in my own head what I'd say and I'd get the guts up to say it. And then I'd say it and I think it was heard and no one here. So it took a while for me to understand, especially when you move up into senior leaders are all impressive people. They've showed up in a certain way that has gotten them there. So what's your confidence? What are you going to ground it in? How do you know there's a reason you're there? And you have to believe you believe you need to be there because yep. you are your your biggest advocate in a way. 100%. Too. Yeah, this was super interesting. And I knew this podcast was going to be special because like of the topics we're going to discuss. Right? And so it's like somebody told me that when you reach the upper ranks, like in some companies, it feels like a family, right? And as I started to unpack that, right, I actually think the senior leadership is all about being in a community because, you know, you get attracted to certain values, you have certain skills and you're bringing those together. And the whole point of joining a community is so that like-minded, like shared goals, like performance levels, like they're all together and they're heading in a certain direction, right? So the family analogy is actually not the right, at least in my opinion, I'd love to hear your thoughts of what the senior leadership is all about. It's actually about the community which again, takes me back to my earlier point, which is like, you have to learn how to be able to support the other people at mm -hmm. their levels, right? Mm -hmm. And that comes to education, that comes to experience, that it comes to exposure, like whichever way you need to do it, but definitely do not fake it till you make it. Just take your time to prepare. If you need to take a little bit more time, it's totally okay. Totally okay. One of the best advices somebody had given me was when I was an associate brand manager. And I'm like, I need to be a brand manager. I don't understand what's going on here. Like I am brilliant. And I need to do something else, get promoted to different business. So somebody took me aside. She goes, sometimes you can't bake a cake at 250 degrees. It'll be mushy. And you can't bake a cake at 500 degrees. It'll be crispy. You have to bake a cake at 350. And sometimes in your career, you're the cake. And unless you sit at the right temperature for the right amount of time, you're not actually going to learn the thing you need to learn. Yep in order to be ready for frosting or whatever that analogy gets me next. But like you, yep. sometimes you just need to learn, you need to fail, and then you need to succeed coming out of it. You know, you just need that. Yep. And I also have realized that you cannot pick all the people that are going to go build a company with. Like, no, like it's no. not like pick any and everybody that's your favorite peeps and just build them together, right? Like it truly is like to act as a partner, it sounds easy to say, but then when you actually have to do it, you're like, wow, I actually had to go through that and this and that. And so it requires lots of mental levelness and patience to, to just get to that point. And again, I keep sharing these points because we have tons of people right now that are planning, at least in their heads, that at the end of this year, they're going to be senior leaders, right? Right. Which is a great aspiration, but just like happens in all types of companies, the aspirations are here, the capabilities are here, and there's a big void between the aspirations and capabilities. And you guys yeah. got to focus on the capabilities, getting to your aspiration, yes. and then just take the jump. Yes. Right? What do you want to be awesome at? Are you showing up in that way? Yep. Every single time I got promoted, it was I wasn't expecting the promotion, which is crazy, right? It's when you expect it, they're like, well, wait, you're just not quite ready yet. And you're like, what? Of course I'm ready. And then you just figure out the skills, you work the skills, and then you get like, I don't know, it just seems to be a rinse and repeat on that. 
But if you focus on the skills, I don't know, there's a nuance to that. If you focus on the skills, then you show up as if you actually want to be there in the skill and the work you're doing. You don't show up as if you deserve something or you want something or you're desperately dating, right? You yep. show up as an active participant playing whatever the game is you're playing and people want to be around you because of it. You're just, your being is different when you're trying yep. to learn a skill and stand in a skill than when you're trying to get something you think you deserve. You show up more kind, more active listening, more as if you're partnering. You don't show up as if you're angry or as you're impatient or if you like want to know why they're still here and not gone yet. Like you just show up differently. Yep. You're just breathing. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. All right. So this was great. I want to move to some of the funner parts of this podcast. And okay. so, but I do want to summarize like that protecting your brand is a definitely a legit thing that executives have to like think about. And there are two pieces of protecting your brand. There's one where you need to stay the course so you don't deviate from what unintentionally from what you spent a lot of time building. And then when people misuse or abuse your brand, you definitely have to call the police, whichever, whatever that means in your yeah. company. And then on, on leadership styles, like getting to the C-suite is a intentional personal process more than just a professional process. And for folks that got to this point in the podcast, I really wish you all best of luck in like kind of putting your professional careers together because it's a beautiful thing when you're amongst the executives where there are different personalities and they all share ideas and then you discuss and debate them and you decide. It's just a very beautiful thing that I feel like everybody should should experience as long as you're in a professional career. To that note, Amy, is there a book, a blog, a newsletter, website, or video that you recommend that our listeners like listen to or take away from this podcast? It's funny. You told me ahead of time, and I was trying to figure out why I couldn't find one. I'm so intellectually curious. I rabbit hole down so many different things. But I would say Jim Stingles, his CMO podcast is awesome. I always learn stuff. He's a fantastic interviewer, and they always have great people on there. I adore Seth Gooden. I think he's yep. great. It's super common sense, awesome stuff that you just need to remember to do. But then I start getting into things like MIT Tech Review and, and you know Fortune and Forbes and like the business world stuff. But then I also get intellectually curious, like how stuff works. Love how stuff works. Like what I found, it's interesting. And I think maybe the more senior you get, the more, and I want to say luxury you have for it, but there's so many things going on in the world that if you can keep really clear what it is you're trying to achieve in your work or personal life either, you can find such innovation in other places that if you see, here's the problems you're trying to solve and over here, you see what's going on. Those two things can come together and beautifully play. So like, how stuff works. I love Derek Thompson's, you know, real speak. I love listening to as well. There's just all types of different things. And then of course there's the ad week, ad age kind of really get to it when you want to talk about advertising and marketing, you know? Cool. So there's more than one. I couldn't get you one. I couldn't get you one. Again, again, there's, there's a variety of things depending on like what the type of person who is listening to this podcast may want to listen to. They at least have some choices that they can go to. I'll tell you, like, I'm a huge, huge, huge copywriting fan, but I probably suck at it because I'm just so infatuated with just copywriting because I feel like the, using the right words to express what you're saying and actually delivering the meaning so the person, like, grasps and internalizes it, I think is, like, is a skill that will forever stay young. 
So for those of us who are big copywriting fans, definitely take a look at the elements of style. The authors are William Strunk and Junior and E.B. White. And I found that book to be extremely helpful in just thinking about how to write copy. Can I do one plug before we leave? There's one book I adore. Oh, yeah. The book that's called The Power of Moments. Chip and Dan Heath. Have you read that one? I have, I have not. So it explains how every business can find the thing that is super special and connected to a customer. And how if you make that specific thing special in a certain way, it makes just magic happen. And I will say sitting at Starbucks and doing that for years and years and years, so many people, it just goes without being done in so many different industries. And at any level in the organization, you can kind of start doing it. Anyway, I really enjoyed the book. Well, there you go. That's the book, you know. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So. Are there two or three other people, either in go-to-market or data science, that you recommend we bring on to the show? Gosh, so many different people. So I love Neil Hoyne. I don't know if you know him over at Google. He does ad tech. He's fantastic. Lots of great stories. Has a book coming out. Two marketers that I adore because they understand how data and the beauty of communication come together. Mel, who's over at SVP over at LinkedIn. And Thomas, who's CMO over at Uber, good people that have been through a lot of different things. Right. Well, those are fantastic themes. And it sounds like they've got some amazing experience. Yeah. So we should definitely get them on the podcast and yeah. learn from them. Yeah. All right. So to wrap this up then, if folks wanted to reach out to you, and I always say this to people that are going to reach out to senior executives, please be extremely specific of what you're looking for. What would be the best way for them to connect with you? I LinkedIn. Okay. Yeah. And yes, please be specific. Because if you're like, hi, how are you? I want to touch base at some point. Like, great, see ya. You know, like, yeah, be specific. (laughs) Yeah, 100%. That's also executive learning number, like maybe one of 100 is to be extremely specific about your ask uh, that you can at least help route things. So, all right, Amy, this was fantastic. Thank you so much. Normally we cover one topic, but we cover two topics in this podcast. So I always thought you were an overachiever, which is what you are, and we did it. Thanks for having me. Have a great weekend. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Sunnyside Up. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us and subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube and Demand Based TV.